0: Hey good morning. Welcome to First Baptist Church online. We're so excited that you've chosen to uh, to join with us today online. Today our pastor is bringing a very powerful message and a really important topic for us. Uh, as we follow Christ, one of the things we talk about when we even when we come to faith in Christ is to repent of our sin. And I think sometimes in our, in our current day and age, we have softened that a little bit. And we really need to understand what it is to repent and the value that it brings to us spiritually to repent. Because if we're going to move beyond the guilt and shame of sin, we have to fully repent of that sin. So he's going to get into what that means and how to go about that process today. So I want you to go ahead and grab your, your Bible, turn to Psalm 25, get a notepad and a pen and really lock in this morning and listen as the Word of God speaks to you and will help you as you deal with sin and are able to repent and move past it. Uh, We thank you for joining us. Let's pray together as our pastor comes. God, we thank you for the love that you've demonstrated to us to allow us the opportunity to repent of our sin and not be held captive by it for our entire and internal life. But we truly can be released from our sin and the guilt that it brings by repenting, by truly repenting specifically for the for the ways that we live contrary to your word, the way that we sin against you. God, we love us. We're thankful for it. We're thankful for Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.
1: Last year the library at a Catholic high school received a package in the mail, and inside the package was a an overdue book. It was one that someone had checked out thirty-two years ago. Imagine that. And with the book was an anonymous note that read, sorry, just 32 years overdue, call it Catholic guilt. When I read that, I had to chuckle a little bit. But let me ask you, have you ever felt guilty? Have you ever been embarrassed? Have you ever felt shame? Maybe it was because you actually did something wrong because you sinned and God convicted you or you knew what you had done was wrong and you felt guilty. You felt shame. Maybe it's because you, you tried to do something and you weren't very good at it and it embarrassed you. Or maybe something happened in public and, uh, and people laughed at you and you felt embarrassed or ashamed. You made a mistake of some kind. Or maybe you uh, said something, you took a stand, you, uh, and, and only later to find out that you were wrong, that what you said was wrong, the stand you had taken was wrong, and you were embarrassed and ashamed because of that. We can, we can feel guilt Shame, embarrassment for a lot of different reasons. And, and sometimes it's not our own fault, but sometimes it is. It's, it's because of things we have actually done. But here's the, th- here's the thing. Shame and embarrassment can be paralyzing at times, especially when it's because of sin. When, when there's something that I've done wrong and I don't deal with it the right way, it can hang over me for years or even all of my life. We hold it against ourselves because we don't deal with it, or maybe other people hold it against us, and, and, and we feel like a prisoner because of their attitude toward us. Well, this morning, what I wanted to talk about is, is, is how we face shame, how we face guilt, and then move beyond it, and do it the right way, do it God's way. So I invite you to take your Bible, please, and open it with me to the Old Testament book of Psalms. We're reading Psalms currently here at First Baptist in our Bible reading plan, this morning, I want us to look at Psalm 25, Psalm 25, because none of us want to live with shame or guilt. We don't want to be a prisoner of our past. We, we want God's love to free us and change us and not judge us. And I think there's some things we can learn from what David writes in Psalm 25 that can help us face our guilt, our shame, our wrongs the right way. And then move beyond them. That's what David wanted, and I think it's what we want. Look in Psalm 25 at verses 6 and 7 and, and listen to his heart here because I think it probably describes your heart as well. He says, Remember, O Lord, your compassion and your loving kindness, for they have been from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions, my rebellious activities. According to your loving kindness, remember me. For your goodness sake, O Lord. David is saying, God, when you look at me, I don't want you to hold my past against me. When you look at me, I don't want you to think about all the things I've done wrong in the past. I want you to look at me, God, through the eyes of love, through the eyes of mercy, And see me that way. And because, God, you are good, I know you can. And that's what I want. I think that's what all of us want. We don't want God to hold our past against us. We don't want those past sins to continue crippling us in life and hindering our relationship with God. And what David says in those two verses is that God has a history of looking at people like us who are sinners through grace and compassion and mercy. I think about The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, before he became a follower of Jesus, he was known by his Jewish name, Hebrew name, Saul. You'll remember that he was a Pharisee, a very zealous, enthusiastic leader within the Jewish faith in Jerusalem, And when the church first came on the scene, he was an aggressive persecutor of Christians, throwing them in jail, confiscating their property. In the book of Acts, Paul was there holding the coats of those who threw the rocks that killed the first Christian martyr, Stephen. But then he became a follower of Jesus and his life was transformed. He became a great missionary, planting churches in Turkey, Greece, and other places and wrote several books that are part of our New Testament. He's an example that, and and there are many of them in Scripture and in life of God looking at people who are sinners, but seeing them through the eyes of compassion and because of that, their lives were changed. But you need to hear me. Moving Beyond Guilt... Moving past shame, moving forward is not automatic. There are things we must do if we're going to move forward, move beyond in the right way. And the first thing is we must make a decision, a decision to turn to God and not run away. Not run from the sin, not run from God, not run from the past, but turn To God, he begins Psalm 25 in verses 1 and following by saying this, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. And so he begins this psalm by saying very clearly, he's making the decision to run to God, not away from God. To run full force into the arms of God, not just partially, not timidly, but he's looking up, he's looking toward, he's looking to God, and he's not looking away. He's not turning away. There were two things that David mentions in Psalm 25 that could make him feel ashamed and embarrassed and so on. And one of those was other people. In those three verses, he talks about his enemies, his adversaries. But in verse 11, he also talks about his sin. He says, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. He knew the two things in his life that could work to to make him have a reason to be embarrassed or feel guilty or be ashamed would be if his enemies overcame him and His own sin, which he called great. And when he realized that he was a great sinner, when he realized he had adversaries, rather than becoming bitter, rather than going into denial, rather than acting as if none of that was real, rather than running away from God and God's people, David ran to God. And that is always the starting place to make the decision to turn to God. David is saying, I choose to not live in the past, to not live in shame. I'm turning to God today. And in here, he's very honest about his situation. I'm going to turn to God and be honest and let God change me because I know if I do that, I will not be ashamed. If I do that, I will not be disappointed. I will not be let down. So the first thing, if you're going to move beyond your shame and guilt," especially if it's because of sin you have committed, is you have to make the decision to turn to God. Now, number two, here's the second thing. You need to, we need to truly, now hear me, truly confess our sins. David knew that he could not ignore his sin, that it doesn't just go away. In fact, not long ago in England, there was a, listen to this, a 91-year-old man who confessed to authorities that 70 years ago, when he was 21 years old, 70 years ago, he shot and killed a prostitute and disposed of her body. He did this because she cheated him out of some money. That is the, that, listen, that's a record in England. It's the longest time between the commission of a crime and confession by the one committing the crime in the history of, of England, And when he turned himself in and confessed to that murder 70 years earlier, he said that he wanted to clear his conscience before he died. You can't run from your sin. You can try, but sooner or later it catches up with you. You can't hide it forever. It will find you out eventually. And so turn to God and truly, truly confess your sin. Look at what he said in verse 11 again. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon, pardon, forgive my iniquity, my sin, for it is great. Turning to God in true confession, true repentance is the foundation for building a new life, a new future, for moving beyond shame and guilt. That's the first step, and God will forgive and He will heal if you do that and do it the right way. The prophet Isaiah in chapter forty-three, verse twenty-five of his book said, "I," and this is he's 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 quoting God. God says, "I, even I am the one who wipes out your transgressions." For my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. I love the image that God wipes them now. Like uh, when I was a kid in school back in the in elementary school back in the 1960s, and they still used chalkboards, and and the teacher would erase. God wipes out. God erases our sin. I love that image. The other one, I will rem- I will not remember them. You and I remember things, but God says when He forgives, He forgets. He will not remember our sins. I love other descriptions of God's forgiveness in the Bible. In the book of Psalms, 103, verses 12 and 13, as far as the east is from the west. That's how far God has removed our sins from us because of his compassion. I love that image. The east going one direction, the west going the other direction. They don't meet. God said, that's how far I remove your sin from you. A powerful image of what it means to truly be forgiven. God removes it. And then the Old Testament prophet Micah, chapter 7, verse 19. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquity, our sin underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. I love those two images. Another way of saying forgiveness is that when God forgives, it's like he throws all of our sins on the ground and he walks on them. He stomps them into the mud, into the ground. I love that image. It's powerful. But another one is that he throws them into the depths of the sea. You go out into the ocean and you throw something overboard and it falls a mile or more to the bottom of the ocean. God said, that's what I do with your sin when I forgive you. Another beautiful image of what it means to be forgiven. And then in 1 John chapter 1 verse 19 in the New Testament, if we confess our sins. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to cleanse us like washing clothes, to cleanse us from all sin, all unrighteousness if we confess. Now what does it mean to confess our sins? Well you might think initially it means to say I'm sorry and that's that's a part of it. We 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 have a We have a problem in America today that when people publicly apologize, it's usually a very shallow apology because they'll say something like, well, I'm sorry uh, if what I did hurt anybody. That's really not biblical confession. The, The Greek word translated confess here means to say or speak the same thing. In other words, you are agreeing with God And what he says about that particular sin. And so you name it. This is the sin. This is what I did. And I'm apologizing not only for the hurt, but for doing that because that was wrong and there's no ambiguity whatsoever. That's what biblical confession, biblical repentance is. When you confess your past, your sin, that brings guilt and shame into your life, when you confess it to God, you have to be absolutely honest about what you did and make no excuses. Offer no justifications. It's, oh God, I did this, it was wrong, I repent of it, I Turn from it. I'm sorry I did that, not only for the damage, but for doing that because that was a sin. It takes that kind of incredible honesty. And when you do that, you have these beautiful images of God erasing the board, moving your sins from you as far as the east is from the west, throwing them to the bottom of the ocean, trampling them under his feet, remembering them no more, washing you in the washing machine of his forgiveness. Incredible images of what it means to forgive when we truly confess and truly repent. If you want that kind of forgiveness so you can be free from your shame, you can't be half hearted in your confession. Last Sunday, there was a pastor in Indiana. At the end of the morning worship service, he stood before his church. And confessed to them that about 20 years ago, he had committed adultery. He said he'd only done it with one woman. It lasted way too long. It was wrong. It was wrong to keep it a secret. There was no excuse, he said. And that 20 years ago, he had repented. But today, 20 years later, he was saying to the church, he was sorry. And asked the church to forgive him. And the church responded with applause. But immediately as that was happening, there was a young, there was a, a woman and her husband who made their way to the pulpit and began to speak. And she clarified some things. She was the woman with whom he had committed what he called adultery. But when it happened, she was a sixth year old teenager in his church where he was the pastor. And it was not 20 or less years ago. It was 27 years ago. The first time he assaulted her was in his office. And that in the years afterward, she had been a prisoner of shame and had been intimidated to say anything, thinking that she was protecting him and others by being quiet. And during those years, she had suicidal thoughts and other uh, struggles. Now, let me ask you a question. When that pastor stood in that pulpit last Sunday morning and made his confession, was he being honest? Was it a real, full-hearted, biblical confession, biblical repentance, or was it something less? And I'm saying that based on the authority and teaching of God's word, that what he did was not a true confession and a true repentance. It was not adultery It was, but it was more than that. It was abuse. She was 16 years old. He was older. He was her pastor. That is sexual abuse. That is rape. That is criminal. That's not simply adultery and an affair. And even after she and her husband spoke, he refused to call it what it really was. There is not true confession and true repentance without being honest about the sin. There's no moving beyond it with the hand of God on your life without being honest honest about the sin we cannot play games with ourselves we cannot play games with God not if we want to truly be forgiven and move beyond the guilt and the shame we have to be real with God and with ourselves and let me let me say something else about what happened that Sunday morning in that church in Indiana After he had spoken, and she and her husband had spoken, and the couple had left the pulpit and were in the back of the church, two or three people went over and embraced her. But within 60 seconds, dozens of church members had gone down to the front, to the altar, and surrounded the pastor praying for him while you had two or three over here embracing her. And when I first saw that video, I have to confess, as I watched it and listened to all of that, as that continued to happen, all I could do was loudly say, No, 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 that's wrong. He was not the victim, he was the predator. He was playing games with his confession. Why did he confess? Because the news had started to leak out. She was starting to talk about it. That's the only reason he stood that morning and said anything. She's the victim, the survivor, the one who was abused. She's the one they should have surrounded and loved on and prayed for. Should they pray for him? Yes. But what about her? It's not just that sometimes when we confess our sins, we play games, even as church members and Christians, we don't understand what repentance and confession truly looks like. This happens in politics, it happens in business, it happens in educational institutions, it happens throughout our culture, and it happens in the church that we play these word games. But here's the thing, brothers and sisters, if you want to truly move beyond sin and shame and guilt, playing games does not work with Almighty God. So how do we move forward? Turning to God. Turning to God, not running away, but turning to God in true confession, in true repentance is the most freeing thing you can do. But there's other things we need to do. That's the foundation. That's the start. But we also need to let God lead us and teach us. As we follow him in a new direction. As we follow him on the right path. Verses 4 and 5. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth. And teach me. God, lead me. Teach me. Because I need to understand things differently. I need to learn. God, I need to walk a different path. I need to go a different direction. I need to go your way. Teach me how to go the right way, God. God. And then he does that because he loves us. In verse 8, good and upright is the Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, because he's good and because he's upright, he instructs sinners in the way. He comes to us when we are lost and said, here's the way to forgiveness and salvation. He comes to us who are believers when we sin and we truly confess our sin. We're in sin, but we confess. He says, now let me instruct you in the right way to go, in my way. Not just your way or any way, but the right way, my way, I will teach you how to live. If we're going to move forward, we must allow God to do that. And if we're going to allow God to do that, the fourth thing is it takes some humility. Without humility, we will not confess the right way. Without humility, we won't allow God to teach us. Without humility, we will not follow God on the right path, on his path. Look in chapter 25 at verse 9. He leads the humble in justice and he teaches the humble his way. What's the opposite of humility? Well, it's, you might say, pride, a know it all attitude, which keeps us from being teachable, keeps us from learning. What's the opposite of humility? Well, how about stubbornness that keeps us from really changing? From really following God's way. It's okay if we're going our way and God helps us. Stubbornness does that. Stubbornness says, okay, God, I'm open to you helping me. But humility says, God, I not only want you to help me. God, I want you to show me the right path. Teach me the right path. And it takes humility To get on our face before God and say, God, I am wrong and my path has been wrong. Teach me your path and lead me to follow your path. That's how you move forward. That's how you move beyond your sin and beyond your shame and the prison that it keeps you in. Then number five, we have to be committed to obedience. Look at verse 10. He said, all the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. His testimonies would be God's words, God's truth, God's law, God's scripture. And he says, the path that God leads you on, he leads you on because he is loving It will be a a path filled with love, and he is truth. It will be a, a path that leads you into the truth and into righteousness, and he will lead you down that path if you are one who is willing to keep to obey his covenant, his testimonies. Obedience is central to moving forward. Otherwise, you're just going to go down your path, Not really dealing with sin and probably creating more problems for yourself in the future. A commitment to obey. And then last, we have to decide that we really do want to live a life of godly integrity. I talked about this a few weeks ago in a sermon, but I want to remind us about it. Look at verse 20. David prays, God, would you guard my soul and deliver me? Guard my soul. God, protect me because on the inside, <laughs> oh, I can be a problem. God, guard my soul. Guard my life. Protect me and do not let me be ashamed for I take refuge in you. Verse 21, let integrity, let integrity and uprightness preserve me For I wait for you. God, I know that what will preserve me, what will protect me, what will keep me healthy is if I live a life of integrity and uprightness. The Hebrew word translated integrity means a wholeness or a fullness or a completeness. It's it's the idea that all of me is the same, that, that the inside of me, the inside of me matches the outside of me. That that what I do reflects who I say I am. What I do, my decisions, how I live, accurately reflects what I say I believe. That there is not a disconnect or a gap between the inside of me, what I feel, what I think, what I say I believe, what I claim to be, who I think I am... And what the outside says about me, what my behavior, and my attitudes, and my words, and my actions—actually, actions, that that integrity means those two are one and the same. There's a connection. There, there's not a gap. There's an Italian reporter who wrote a book after investigating the Italian mafia, and one of the things she learned was that the majority of people in the Italian mafia are also very religious. Now listen to this. She gave some examples in her book. Marcello Fava, he said, before I had to kill someone, I would cross myself. And I would say, dear God, stand by me, make sure nothing happens. But I I wasn't the only one who crossed himself beforehand and prayed to God. We all did. Did you hear that? Before mercil- mercilessly executing someone, cross yourself and pray. Another mafia boss, Bernardo Provenzano, he was arrested, and when he was arrested, police found in his house with him five Bibles. With his handwritten notes on many pages in the margin, where he had read verses and underlined them, and he had written his own notes in the Bible, and yet he's a mafia boss. Michael Greco, another mafia boss, in prison, keeps four books with him in his cell. One of those, two, two of those, rather, two of those are liturgical books. The third is, is, is a copy of the four Gospels in one book, And the fourth is a book on prayer. That's what he keeps in his cell. He's in jail in prison because he's a mafia boss. Now, I know those are extreme examples, right? We shake our heads at it. But is it not true that in our own way, sometimes we are guilty of the same thing? Being religious with our lifestyle contradicting what we say on the inside about who we really are. When that happens, it's a lack of integrity. And there's no moving forward. There's no moving forward with the hand of God without genuine brokenness and repentance and confession and being absolutely honest with ourselves and with God. No moving forward without... Allowing God to lead us on a new path and a new direction to a new life that is based on His truth, on His leadership. Having the humility to say, God, my way is not the right way. I submit to Your way, which means I'm submitting to Your Lordship over my life and the direction of my life. And I am committed, O oh God, To letting you teach me what is true and what is right and how to live. I'm committed to obeying you. And God, what I want is integrity. I want my life to match what's on the inside of me. I want my life to match my profession of faith. I want my life to match what I claim to believe and who I claim to be. That's how we move forward. And you can. But the beginning place, the foundation is for you right now to get along with God and be absolutely honest with yourself and with God about the sin that brought shame into your life. And then dealing with it the way he talks about it in Psalm 25. And when you do that, God will free you by taking your sin and throwing it on the ground and walking all over it. By dropping it into the deepest part of the ocean. By removing it from you as far as the east is from the west, never to meet you again. By erasing it from the chalkboard of life. And by him never remembering it. By him looking at you not through the eyes of your past sin, but God looking at you through the eyes of compassion as he blesses you with a new life and a new future. You can have that if you deal with your sin the right way. I pray you do so right now, right now where you are. God bless you. I'll see you next Sunday.